So that's what we're going to talk about this morning is what does it look like to sustain a move of God in my life through the ups and downs, through the changes in, a, in seasons of my life, different things I'm going to be doing. What does it look like for that move of God in my life to continue? What does it look like for that seed that he planted and is now growing to continue to grow and to bear fruit? Right, Because we don't want to just keep going back over and over to the Lord and go, will you replant that seed of truth? Will you replant that seed of truth? The design of every seed is for it to eventually go away. The seed has to die so that fruit can be born. And the Lord wants to plant things in you and has given truth to you and taught you many things over this semester that those things need to uh, stop being in seed state and begin to grow and bear fruit. Amen? All right, so that's what we want to see happen, and I don't want that to short-circuit over Christmas break and then the beginning of a new season. So what does it look like to sustain a move of God in your life? Now, the other thing we've got to fight against today is distraction. Uh, the end of seasons have major distractions, um, and I know probably for many of you, you're thinking about what lies, even in your afternoon coming, what kind of preparation you need. So um, we've got to really press to focus here. So let's just uh, let's pray. Um, but really what I want you to do as you pray is I just want you to um, just give the Spirit of the Lord permission to have your heart. Give Him permission to have your mind. Give Him permission um, just to do what He wants this morning. Um, ask Him to put you in a position of being a hearer, okay? We want you to be a hearer this morning. Nothing to distract, all right? So let's just pray against distraction. Even if it's specific, if you know specific distraction, go, God, you can speak above the noise of this distraction. So let's just pray. I'm going to pray over you after I give you just a few seconds of, uh, of quiet. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to have absolute rule and reign in our hearts and minds this morning. We ask for you to do what you want to do. We know that you are the one that can bring the truth that we need to transform our lives. And we pray that you would be faithful to do it. And we ask, God, as we uh, come in this morning quite distracted, there's so many things going on. There's so many opportunities for our attention to be robbed. We just ask, God, that you would uh, give us just a supernatural focus, that we might remember what your voice sounds like, that we would focus now on listening to you. Because we know that when we listen to you, you speak, and we know that when you speak, it's good. And when it's good, our lives are changed, and we look more like you, and we learn to love you more, and God, that's what we want. We want to love you more. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would have your way this morning and that we would honor you in all that we do, what we say to one another and how we read your word and how we pray. I pray that you would be honored and glorified. Amen. All right, so um, go to the book of James. We're gonna, I'm going to look at a few um, places in Scripture where uh, I feel like there's some real key points to sustaining a move of God in your life. Um, the first one is going to be in James. We're going to look at James. We're going to look uh, at what he says um, about, about testing. We're going to look um, at, for a brief moment, at David, um, at King David, right before he goes on the battlefield uh, against Goliath. And then we're going to look uh, at Mary for, for quite a bit, uh, look, at, um, uh, look at Mary and her response to what God was doing. Um, and hopefully in those, capturing in, in those three, we will, uh, 
will really capture what it looks like to sustain a move of God. So many of you, I want you to just for a moment think about this last semester. Um, and not just, not just activities, but I want you to just think about, okay, what are some things that God has done in me? Okay? Now, I want you to be uh, in, in, focused on an interior way for right now, um, not, not things you've seen God do, but what are some things that have captured my heart? What are some things that God has taught? What are some things that God has done? Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to f- feel bad if you think, well, my, this is not significant enough, um, or I don't have a long list. If God has given you one simple thing, is just as good as several complex things because the, the goodness of what God has given is not based on just what he's given. It's based on the source, okay? If it came from God, it's good. If it came from God, it's intended to bear fruit. So just pause for just a second and think about, get, just capture something that God has taught me. What is something that he has done in my heart? What is a way that I have learned more about him? I don't just mean head knowledge, but what is a way that I've grown closer to him? What has he told me about himself? What have I learned about the person of God? And for many of you, there's stories of salvation. Some of you in here started this semester um, as an enemy of God. Some of you started this semester with questions about God, not knowing him, and the semester has concluded with you being a son and a daughter and knowing him intimately and personally because you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and been filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that's a good, that's a good one, right? That's some of you. Some of you have had junk and baggage and brokenness of your life that you've allowed the Lord to sift through, and God has touched, and you have been healed and set free from junk from the past. Amen. That's good. Some of you have, got, have captured a revelation about the goodness of God. Some of you came in and God was a pretty religious figure. He was this very standoffish uh, thing that you didn't really know how to get close to. And some of you have had moments, amazing moments of nearness with God. We had a, a phenomenal night last night. Our discipleship school gradu- uh, students graduated. One of our classes graduated. By the way, if you're interested in that, be looking for an open house next semester, discipleship school. Uh, it's an intense time just to, to get to know the Lord more. But um, so many of them talked about understanding um, the fatherhood of God. Like they just didn't know how good he was as a father, and that was what they captured um, through the last year. And so there's been several things. In this room, there's been several things. We could spend probably all day, and you talk about the things that God has done. But again, we want those things to remain. Uh, so let me just give you a few, a few uh, tidbits on what it looks like to sustain a move of God in your life. So James chapter 1, um, here, here's the first thing. Let me just tell you, according to what this passage says, that it's going to be tested. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So here's the first deal, okay? Whatever God has done in this last season... It will be tested. Amen. 
Now, here's the deal. Normally, we would look at testing, and there would, you know, it, it could create some fear. You could go, oh, I don't know. You know, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if that's good. Let me just tell you that the goodness of God will not allow anything into your life which you cannot handle. And if testing comes to this place that God has, uh, has changed your life in, let me just tell you that, that the book of James says you should count it all joy. Now, that's a strange outlook when testing comes. When something comes against what God has taught you, what God has given, what you're walking in, something comes against it. The Scripture says that instead of cowering in fear, instead of being afraid, instead of being intimidated, it says count it joy when you meet trials of various kinds because this testing has a purpose in you, right? This testing has not come to your life without purpose. So when you find yourself maybe over Christmas break or in the next semester and God is testing the things that he has taught you, don't go, man, God, I'm in trouble. Count it all joy that you're being tested because there's a purpose in the testing and that purpose is to produce steadfastness, right? Well, what does that look like? When, when we're tested in the things that God has given us, It produces steadfastness because it teaches us how to stand and remain in faith regardless of what we see happening around us. It teaches us not to bend and break according to circumstances, and it teaches us to remain grounded on the things which have come from the mouth of God. So when that testing comes, thank God for it. I promise you, you will learn far more if you thank God for it, you count it joy, than you will if you cower in fear. You will miss the goodness of testing. Jesus, uh, he would say when he's talking about uh, the vine and branches, and he he would say that um, which, which vine gets pruned? The one that has what? What's on it that allows fruit? Pruning only comes to the tree that is bearing fruit. Right? So if God has taught you something, it's beginning to bear fruit in your life, and then all of a sudden the testing comes, the pruning comes, don't freak out and think you're in trouble. Count it joy. Jesus has come to, uh, to allow pruning to happen in your life that what he has given you might bear more fruit. Somebody say amen. That's good news. So we've got to first get our perspective right. So the things that God has taught you, the things that he's done in your heart and in your life will be tested. Don't cower. Thank God for it. It's his goodness that allows testing. He wants to produce steadfastness and you should have joy in it. I want you to look at a testing in David's life. Go to first Samuel. Now the beauty of this is I don't have to explain it much. Keith did a great job a few weeks ago of doing that. So I'm going to just really reiterate a couple of the points that, that he made. Go to first Samuel chapter 17. It's in the old Testament. Kind of towards the beginning. That's where it is in mine. Y'all good? All right. All right. Sometimes that's easier. It's like, whoo, okay. <laughs> I was way closer to halfway. All right. Nobody? All right. First Samuel 17. Go to verse 31. When the, words of, uh, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. So that's the beginning, and just to give you a little context, basically what's happened is David has come, he's seen Goliath present himself. Again, I'm not going to go through all of this, but he's seen what Goliath is doing. He's seen the army cowering in fear, and he pretty much says, well, he exactly says, uh, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who would defy the armies of the living God, right? And people go, whoa, 
you're talking big, young man. You know what I'm saying? Whoa. And who is this young man that talks so large and his uh, vocabulary, what he was saying, reached Saul because it was such um, contradiction to the culture of fear that had been created over the last 40 days. And David said to Saul, verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. So here's one of those points of testing. Now I want you to think about the place where you might be going into over Christmas break. For many of you, the reality is that when this semester ends and you go wherever you're going to go for Christmas break, you're going to be in an environment that doesn't know what God has done. That doesn't know what God has done, has not necessarily been part of it. Maybe they've just heard pieces of it, but they still know you as pre-transformation. Anybody ever been in one of these spots? You go back to an old group of friends, even in sometimes in family situations, God has done a great work in your life. They may not know it, may not have context in it, or here's the other thing, they may not believe it because they still remember you as pre-Jesus. They still remember you uh, as, as pre-transformation. They don't know what, is, what has happened, and so their expectations are on par with what they once knew of you, Right? And here's what Saul says. Saul looks at David and he says, but you're just a young man, right? Pretty much says, look, my expectations are in accordance with just what I know about you, and that is that you are a young man and not able to, to do this, right? I want, you to, I want you to already be prepared for going back into an old environment. Some of you, that's going to be in your families. That's a tough place when the expectation of your family is for an, for an old you. Some of you, that's going to be groups of friends, the people that you're going to hang out with. And I'm not saying don't hang out with them, but their expectations for you are going to be for what you once were, right? And it's easy to start going, yeah, you're right. And start to inch back to that old way of life. And I'm not just talking about behaviors, friends. I'm talking about thought patterns. I'm talking about agreement with things about you that aren't, nice, that aren't true anymore. I'm not just saying don't, don't, don't go get drunk with the friends you used to get drunk. That's not what I'm, I mean, yeah, but, but right, that's, but I'm just not talking about behavior. I'm talking about conforming back to an old pattern of life. And there's going to be pressure against that. But I want you to listen to what David does. Saul says, David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're but a youth. And he's been a man of war um, from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Come on. That's a cool looking picture. But don't grab people by the beard. That's, that ain't right. All right. You guys focus. There came a lion or a bear took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. 
And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So here's what happened. David came up against this testing. He came up against this word that said, no, you're not able to walk in what you believe you should be able to walk in. You're not really able to do what you think you should do. And what does David do? He immediately draws off of what God has already done. He didn't try to, he didn't try to uh, argue with Saul based on how he looks. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're right, but I'm prom- I can bench press more than you think. I mean, these arms are small, but I can really lift, right? He doesn't get into an argument based on circumstance. What he does is he, look ba- he looks backwards into that last season of his life and says, no, God has prepared me for this moment. I'm ready. This is what God has already done, and he is faithful and will do it again. So when you come up against those moments where there's pressure to conform again, where there's pressure to say, maybe what you believe God has done is not actually true, draw off of what he has done. Go back to that place and look at what God has done and go, God, if you did it here, then it's still true here. Amen? Here's what's cool about the story. When David says that, what does Saul say? You're right. You see how he even changed the culture that that Saul had bought into, right? He even changes Saul's mind because he says, no, God is going to do this. And Saul says, all right, you're right, right? I'm telling you, there's friends that you have, there's family members that you have that need their culture changed because of you standing on what God has already done. And when you stand on what God has already done, you give them opportunity to experience the same miracle that has happened in your life. When you cower and you don't stand on that testimony, you don't give them an opportunity to participate in the blessing. But when you say, no, God has done this, they get to go, oh, really? How can I be part of it? And now Saul, if we keep reading, Saul's going to get to participate in a victory which he never, ever, ever would have won on his own. But because David came and changed the culture, now Saul gets to have some victory. And there's people in your life that need victory, but it's only going to happen because you bring light into that dark place. Because you bring hope and you say, no, God did this to me. Think about it, man. There's people in, that believe that you're still like them. Those old places, man, even some in your family, they still believe an old thing about you. And when they see a new thing, they're going to go, man, I need a new thing. And you're going to create opportunity to speak life and hope into them simply by standing on what God has done over this last season. You guys agree with me? Say amen. All right. So then, well, we're not going to do that. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so, yeah, we got time. Okay, so David and, and uh, well, let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, go to 38. His, uh, this, is a, this is a point, it's a small one, but you need to hear it. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. Okay, stop right there. Clothing in the scripture is representative of testimony. It's who we are. What we wear is who we are. Jesus, when, he's, um, when he uh, washes the disciples' feet, right, he takes off the garment, which would have 
uh, been the garment of him being the head of the household. He takes that off and he girds himself with a towel. He puts on the garment of a servant, right? He, he uh, puts that garment on to say, I am a servant. So clothing, uh, that's just an example, but clothing in the scripture is about testimony. And what did Saul say to David? He said, okay, good. The Lord be with you. Now do it, the, do it this way, right? Now do it wearing my armor. Do it how I would do it. Do it according to what I think should be done. Conform to this identity. And he offers David this this suit, and Scripture seems to uh, tell us that he got dressed. I mean, he, he, he put it on him. So he gets his helmet of bronze on his head, gets a coat of mail. David straps his sword over his armor, and look, man, these things are heavy, Right? And David goes, man, this is not me. This is, this is not me. I can't wear your testimony and walk in victory. Right? I can't wear your armor. I can't fight like God has equipped you to fight. I got to fight like God has given me the ability to fight. I got to wear what God has done in me and be confident in that. And so the word here is just, man, just remain confident in what God has done in you and said about you because that is absolutely enough. You don't, in order to continue in victory, you don't have to become like somebody else. The Spirit of God in you has created you. I mean, God has created you the way He wanted to create you, gifted you the way He wants to gift you. The Spirit of the Lord will draw those giftings out, and you, just like God has designed, you can have victory depending on Him, right? All right? So don't think you have to conform to be like somebody else in order to walk in victory. David says, man, I can't do it. He takes off those clothes, picks up the stone. Man, this is what has been victorious in the past, and I'm going to stay with it. This is what God has done. And he goes and he puts a rock in the dude's forehead, and he dies and cuts off his head, and it's incredible. They don't tell you that in little kid Sunday school. I'm just saying. The first time I read that David like stood on the dude's chest with his head in his hand, I was like, you're kidding me? That was in here and nobody told me that. <laughs> I would have loved the Bible more if I was knew this. Like, man, tell me the story. All right, go to Galatians. Y'all good? You capturing these little tidbits? All right. We're going to just affirm that point about David and the armor in Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse 15. Now, this is Paul, and he's given a story about his transformation, okay? So we know that, that Saul was blinded on the road, met Jesus. This is the story that he's telling. He was radically transformed. He's kind of recapping for us that story, okay? So he says, verse 15, But when, the, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach this, uh, him among the Gentiles. Listen to these words. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to, to, to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. I want you to capture these words. He says, I did not consult with anybody. Now, that sounds like, man, Kendall, you've been encouraging us in community. 
uh, and now we're reading Paul saying, you know, I didn't, I didn't consult with anybody. Here's the deal. When God does something in your life, when God changes your heart, when God reshapes your thinking, when God invades your life and does something new, don't go to your friend and go, you think? What do you think? You think this is real? What do you think about this? And how do you think this should play out? What do you think should be the next few years? Here's what, here's what happened. Saul met Jesus, was radically changed by Jesus, and then said, man, I got to get, get away. And so he removed himself. He says, I did not confer with flesh and blood. I didn't want to reason this out. God had done a miracle in my life. I didn't want to take this into the soul and figure out what I thought was best or what the opinions were of my friends. I got to get alone with God and let him do what he wants to do in my heart. And I'm just telling you that the temptation is when God changes our life to go, well, what do you, you know, to try to get comfortable in our surroundings. Well, what do you think about that? And we're not doing that to encourage. We're doing that to try, just to try to feel okay about what God has done, right? To try to fit in again. And I would just tell you, man, when, when God has radically changed your life, you let him bring that life change to fruition, don't consult with flesh and blood, man. Don't go ask the world what it thinks of, what, of the supernatural thing which God has done in your heart. Let God and God alone nurture and grow that seed. Now, I'm not telling you that he's not going to use other people to do it, but let me just tell you the test. If people are in disagreement with what God has done, if people are trying to pull you off of the ledge where you're jumping off of uh, to go for it with Jesus, and they're going, ah, I think that's a little too radical, right? If, the, if those are the kinds of things that are coming out, then you're consulting with flesh and blood, and you're not walking with people that are agreeing with what God has done in the Spirit. God will put people around you. When God has planted a word in your heart, when God has given you truth that reshapes your life, God will put people around you that will confirm that word. They will confirm that word and they will encourage you in it. Don't confer with flesh and blood. Don't go back to those old places and go, well, this is what God has done in my life. What do you think? Because they're, they're going to go, well, I think you should still be like what you used to be because that's more comfortable for me. Amen? It's much easier if you would just come back to us like we used to be because this other thing that's happening in your life is a little strange. We don't know how to be around that, so why don't you just come on back? <laughs> right? Right? Do not confer with flesh and blood. All right. For those of you that are going home, and some of you are going home in places that are wonderful. Praise God. And, and, and man, if, you, if you're going home to a place that encourages and nurtures what God has done, you better thank him for it over and over and over again. Praise God. Many are not. Many are not. And praise God if you've got a place, especially if you've got a place in your home that is encouraging. But some of you don't, and I want to address that. Go to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read this real quickly. It's easy for you guys, if you're going home to a place that doesn't, doesn't believe that you, what you believe, or some of you, like, you, you've got families that are, that are believers, but they're just religious, and they're not going to get this insatiable appetite that you have for Jesus. They're like, well, we just go to church, right? 
chill out with reading your Bible and all that stuff, right? So some of you are going to just religious places. And, and here's the deal. You can fall on one of two sides. You can get really discouraged about that. You can go, man, I just wish that they would burn for the Lord like I do. You can get really discouraged. Um, or here's the dangerous one. You can become critical of them. Let me just tell you, that is not the heart of God. And you do not serve yourself any better or boost yourself up by being critical of where they're at. You were there, right? Praise God for what he's done in your life and ask him, plead with him to do it in theirs. But the moment that you step into criticism, you become ineffective in their lives. God cannot use you while you're being critical. You hear me? Don't stand in that position of criticism, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So here's just a, a little, little key here. You need to thank God if you're going home to a place that is not believing like you believe because he's put you there intentionally. From now on, therefore, listen, we regard no one. Crazy, we just had a conversation about this. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ in God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So if you're going back to a place where either it's your friends or your family, whatever, if you're going to be in this season amongst those that don't believe, don't love the Lord like you do, or don't know him like you do, don't stand in that position of criticism. First, before you go, prepare yourself and go, God, I want to see them like you see them. Open my eyes to see my family, to see my friends the way that you see them. What, what do they look like to you? I promise you're going to get a radically different viewpoint than you would if you just stood back and criticized. You're going to know the immense love that God has for them. And then you're going to recognize, man, uh, I was once far off. I was once this old man that was an affront to God, but God has crucified that old man on the cross, and he has made me new. And his heart and desire for my family is the exact same. His heart and his desire for my friends that may not know him is the exact, exact same. And he preached that message. Let me just tell you if, you, if you're a believer in here, here's what happened. The Holy Spirit came and he preached this message of reconciliation to your heart. And you surrendered to his grace. And then what happened is he filled you with his Holy Spirit and said, now, okay, you're the messenger for that same message of reconciliation. I stand on this soapbox all the time. He handed you the ministry of reconciliation. You have been reconciled. Now go and preach that message of reconciliation. To preach the message of reconciliation, you have to stay in a place of humility and realize that I was once reconciled. Right? You guys awake? Say amen. Just checking. So when you identify and go, man, God, I want to see them like you see them. And I recognize that you're putting me in this place for the purpose of reconciliation. I'm going home. and You've given me this ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to this group of friends, and you've given me this ministry of reconciliation. And that reconciliation for me came by your grace, and you invaded my life. I did nothing. So why would I hold a different level of expectations over my friends and family than you ever held over me? You just saved me, and I'm asking you to do the same for them.
right? You guys good? All right. I don't believe you. All right. Go to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at Mary, and then we're going to be finished. Nine minutes with Mary. That's what we're going to call this. All right. Amen. (laughs) Y'all are so funny. All right. Luke chapter 1. Okay, so man, I love these words that we get to. We get this really cool look in the book of Luke into Mary's life, into her heart. We really can grab hold of some things that she was walking in. I, I love the picture that we get uh, here in, in Luke. So go to Luke chapter 1. So these, these are huge pieces of sustaining and moving of God in your life, okay? So you guys know the story. Well, do you want to read it? Let's read it. It's Christmas time. Let's start in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in the womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. All right. So before we finish, man, that it, you want to have a life change? What did Bobby say in the video? A manger life change. Anybody get that? No? All right. That was funny. So just just try your best to picture what that would look like. You talk about the news that gets dropped on Mary in that moment. Like, first of all, she's got to deal with the fact that there's an angel in her living room, Right? I love that when it says that she was pondering what kind of greeting this was. I don't think it was because she was saying, why didn't he say hello, nice to meet you? I think she was going, snap, there's an angel in my room, right? You don't say snap anymore, do you? All right, I'm old. (laughs) Some people did like the head turn, snap, what is snap? (laughs) All right, so she's got this angel in her living room, and he says, okay, first, check this out, I'm an angel, and I'm you know, I've got a message from Most High God, and can you imagine just processing this in this moment, and by the way, you're going to bear a son, and by the way, he's the son of God, by the way, he's going to rule forever, by the way, he's the hope of the world, by the way, right? This is kind of how it goes, and I'm kind of making light of it, but think about what was just dropped on her. Think about the level of understanding that she would have. I mean, think about how your mind would be processing that. What? She asks one question. I love her question. She asks one question, and it's not a question of doubt. See, we sometimes get afraid, and this is a different point for a different day, but we get afraid of asking God questions. We get afraid to ask for understanding. Let me just tell you that if you're asking for understanding for the purpose of obedience, it is welcomed in the heart of God. 
Mary's question, how is this, how this going to happen? I'm just a virgin, was a, was a question of obedience. She's going, I'm in, but how are you going to do that? <laughs> right? Right? There's a difference in asking a question for the purpose of obedience and asking a question for avoidance. Right? Jonah, go read Jonah. He was asking avoidance questions. Mary was pressing in to what God was saying. Check out what she says. So all that was dropped on her. Check out what she says at the very end. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The Lord says what he says, and it's a huge deal. And Mary asks one question. The Lord answers it. And Mary says, all right, that's kind of crazy too, but she says these powerful, powerful words. Behold, some of your versions say the handmaid. Behold the servant or the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to what you want to do, right? The first step in sustaining a move of God in your life is agreeing with God. She just said, all right, if that's what you want to do in me, then do it. How many of you have said that? As God is, is, is moving and reshaping your lives, how many of you have said back to him, okay, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be done to me. I'm your, I'm your servant. I'm your handmaid. I am here at your, uh, at your feet. You do to me according to what you want to do. Or how many of you are still asking him questions to avoid obedience? Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Look at verse 46. She begins to pray and sing praise. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. What does that mean that her soul magnifies the Lord? Well, I'm not going to draw it, but you know body, soul, spirit at this point. Our mind, will, and emotions. When she says my soul magnifies the Lord, what she's saying is I am going to come into complete agreement with what God wants to do. I'm just going to agree with God in my mind, in my will, in my emotions. I'm not understanding all of this. How am I going to have this, this son of God baby? I don't mean, how is this going to happen? But my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. I'm going to agree with God in my soul and I'm going to celebrate because I know that it's his goodness that's doing it. How do you sustain a move of God in your life? Number one, you present yourself before him. And number two, you constantly, constantly agree with him and rejoice in his purposes in your life. Say agree. Agree with God. God, you want to... You want to change the way I think about this person? I agree that it's the best thing. My soul will magnify you. You agree with God and you continue to rejoice. Look at Luke chapter 2. This will be our last point on Mary. We've got two more minutes with Mary. Don't go away. All right. Just checking. You guys all right? All right, look at Luke chapter 2. This is, the, this is the final piece, and, and, and it's a huge piece. So, verse 19. All this happens. Like, Mary watches all of what God said unfold. I mean, can you imagine? She's, she's said, behold the handmaid of the Lord. And throughout all of this, God has been faithful, and God has done exactly what he said he was going to do. And she's constantly agreeing with God 
constantly rejoicing, constantly agreeing, constantly rejoicing. She's walking in faith according to what God has said. And here's this, here's this last little piece that gives us a key into her heart. And we need to ask for this heart. So the shepherds come and they go. And look at verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. So the shepherds go, and, it, and the scripture just tells us, this is her heart. She just, she just is quietly to herself. You don't get this sense that Mary is this real overbearing personality. She just seems to be a very quiet, joyful young woman. And it says that as she watches all this unfold, that she treasures it and ponders it in her heart. She treasures it as it unfolds. What does that look like? I mean, what is a treasure? We don't use that word a lot unless we're being corny with people like, you're my treasure or whatever. But what, is, what, what is, you guys, you don't say that either. That's really corny. Right? But what does that, I mean, what, what does that word mean? The, the essence of that word treasure. I mean, it's a, it's a huge value. Right? And what, what it says is that Mary watched all this unfold. And, and as you're watching uh, what is unfolding in your life, the things that God is doing in your life and the lives of others around you, my question to you is, are you in the moment? Because to treasure things in your heart, you've got to be present in the moment. You can't be looking at tomorrow. Jesus said, quit looking at, at tomorrow. There's enough for tomorrow. You've got to be present in the moment. Are you present in today? Are you treasuring the things that God is doing right now in this hour? Or are you so consumed with God? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to teach me tomorrow? Go, how are you going to fix this in my life? How are you going to solve this issue? Or are you standing in this place of treasuring what God has done? Is it of uh, supreme value to you, the things that God has spoken in your life? You captured them in your heart. And it says that she was pondering them in her heart. So she's treasuring them. It's of great value. And she's constantly, constantly thinking on them in her heart, right? Constantly going over them as she's treasuring them. And so I really believe that you can do all of those other things that we listed. And if you, if you aren't present in the moment, if you don't treasure what God has done, it will not sustain in your life. If it's not of the utmost value, and why is it of great value? Because it's a gift that God has given. Do you recognize that your sanctification, that you growing in the Lord, is a gift that God has given? Do you treasure that gift? Do you treasure, above all else, the fact that the Spirit of God lives in you, and He's making you like Jesus? Is that a treasure to you? And do you value the things that He's given? If not, if they're just a cheap trinket that comes along with everything else in your life, you will not have sustained moves of God. It'll go on and off and on and off and on and off. Be present enough to love the things that God is doing now. Treasure them and ponder them. Can you guys go home with all of that and come back here still bearing fruit from the things that God did this semester? Can we sustain this move of God? Look at me because you're going to all sit here in front of me accountable like in, in like February. Gosh, you may as well miss the next semester. You got the longest break ever, right? But you're going to all sit here again in a few months. And are we going to come back with a sustained move of God? Or are we going to have to go, okay, back to the beginning? I want to keep going. I, I think there's so much more that God wants to do in this room. I want to keep going. We've got to together choose whether we're going to keep going or not. Amen? Who wants to keep going? Say amen if you want to keep going. Amen. God, help us keep going. We want to get deeper with you. We're hungry, God. I'm hungry. 
I want more. And that's not selfish. I just love you that much. You're just that deep that we could constantly want more of you. And I just pray that that would be the heart in this room. That we would not be satisfied while at the same time being satisfied. We would say, God, we want more of you because you fill us completely. You satisfy us perfectly. So we want more. God, I pray for boldness and obedience over this break. That we would live according to your word. That we would bear fruit according to the word that you've spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed. Not released. If you're here for the Christmas break, we'll see you next week.